All right, thanks, you all. That is Sunday, July 23rd for Power Surge Sunday. As you join me in James chapter 4, we are going to continue in just two verses this morning, 11 and 12, but they are answering the question that is posed at the beginning of James chapter 4. The question there is, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? And then he answers that question. The source, he says, is your sinful desires like lust and envy and selfishness and self-love and self-reliance, pride. And he says that flows from an adultery that we have with the world because even though we've been united with Christ, we still love the things that we used to love. That's why conflicts. But he hasn't moved from that question quite yet. He has one more thing to say about what causes conflicts among us. And that's going to be in verse 11 and 12. And so as we look at this, I have a few things that... We'll consider a bottle of red wine, a CEO, CAO cigar, and a pair of my Hey Dudes. All right. Why do I have those up here with me? Because verses 11 and 12 simply deal with when we act as a judge. And when it comes to these things, including these... People have opinions, and those opinions turn into what? Judgments, right? And so when James wrote this, he wants to specifically address when we act as judges, what do we need to know? So let's look at verse 11 first together. He says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a what? A judge of it. So you can capture judgment here is the issue. What do we need to know when we judge one another? Because... The Bible actually talks about judging in a different ways that sometimes cause people to get confused and to think the Bible says things it doesn't say. So we want to look at this verse carefully. First, when he says, don't speak against one another, he's saying there's a practice that has to stop. And that practice of speaking against one another is to put down with words. Very easy image if, if I invited Tom to come up here and I rudely took my hands and pushed him down. You would think, whoa. But we do that verbally all the time. We do with our words to a person what we don't do with our hands. We put down instead of push down. And we use our words instead of our hands. And he's saying that needs to stop. This 
putting down one another with words because he equates the speaking against one another. Did you notice in verse 11, he equates speaking against one another with judging one another. And when he says the person who judges his brother, he's not saying you're doing an examination of them. He's saying you're doing a condemnation of them. You are declaring a, this is what I want you to capture, you're declaring a guilty verdict. You're going to put them down with your words, declaring they're guilty. That's what he's saying needs to stop. Now here's the problem though. Is there ever a time for the church with among other believers to condemn as guilty. Well, Paul seems to say very directly in 1 Corinthians 5, for what have we to do with judging outsiders, not condemning outsiders, that's God's business, but do you not judge those who are within the church? And it's a rhetorical question because the whole chapter is this. The whole chapter is confronting that in that body, like this church here, there was a man who was engaged in gross sexual immorality. And people, believers, were basically looking the other way and ignoring it. And Paul writes them and says, you can't ignore clear, blatant disobedience to the word of God. You need to address that. And then he says, I'm not saying judge people who are outside the church. They're living according to their heart. But a person who's been born again and Christ dwells within them and are still living against what the scripture says, that needs to be confronted. There needs to be judgment made there. So are these guys disagreeing? No. This is why you got to pay attention very closely to what he says. Paul is saying you need to apply the law of God, the commands of God to the people of God. But James is saying he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks what? against the law. This is not an affirming and an applying of the law. This is a judgment that is speaking against the law and judges the law. Ju determines that the law is not right. Condemning the law. But if you judge, if you condemn the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. You see, what's happening here is not James disagreeing that there is a time where as the people of God, we need to bring the requirement of God's word and apply it to one another. He is saying, no, this is speaking against a brother that is speaking against the law. This is a judging of the person as you are judging the law. In other words... You are judging them beyond what the beyond what the scripture judges them. 
You're judging, you're making an interpretation that the law doesn't make. You're condemning them for what the scripture doesn't condemn. So we got to get this really clear in our head. He's saying, hey, you need to stop this pushing one another down with your words, declaring guilty verdicts regarding specifically actions that the scripture doesn't condemn. This is the judgment that he is confronting. A judgment that condemns guilty when the scripture doesn't condemn guilty. And when we're doing that, he says, you're not only condemning the person, you're condemning the the scripture as it's not accurate, it's not right. God should have said this. Now, what did James have in mind when he wrote this? The scripture gives us some examples of how this judgment, this condemning for actions that the scripture doesn't condemn, how it was happening in the early church. Let me give you three examples. In Acts chapter 15, Acts, if you'll remember, is the book in the New Testament after the four gospels, the story of the work and the words of Jesus, and now it's the growing of the church. And as the church is growing, as the gospel is spreading from Jews to Gentiles, there becomes severe disagreement among believers about what needed to happen. Specifically, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, teaching believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you're not saved. You're still guilty. Is that what Jesus taught? He didn't say you need to be circumcised. He said you need to be born again. You need to believe in me, not be circumcised. Why in the world, I have not, in my 34 years here, I have never had to engage or confront anyone in this congregation who has said, no, no, you gotta be circumcised to be saved. Nobody holds to that, but that was a real controversy then, why? Because all these Jews had to understand that circumcision was the core of who they were as the people of God. And if these Gentiles were going to claim to become the people of God, then they needed to be circumcised. Or they're not saved. Do you see what you see what's happened? They're declaring guilty where the scripture doesn't declare guilty. I'll give you another example. Romans 14, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. And that's not physically weak, but there's some truth there. (laughs) Just tucked in the text. <laughs> the one who eats, that is not the point at all, by the way. I just really got distracted. Squirrel. Uh, 
The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to declare guilty the one who eats. Why not? Because God hasn't declared them guilty. He accepted them. So once again, there's this issue of if you are a Christian, you don't eat that. 34 years here. I've never really run into anybody who was like, hmm, if you're getting past the zucchini and broccoli, you're probably not a Christian. That'd be terrible. <laughs> now, again, why? Because what was happening in the church then was this church is trying to grow in the context of deep idolatry where the meat of the day is being sacrificed to idols. And this thought is, if you eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, you might as well just be worshiping the idol yourself. And how could you possibly do that and call yourself a Jesus follower? You see? So if, if you're eating meat, you're an idol worshiper. I condemn you as guilty. And again, you, you understand? You can't, you can't relate, but do you understand? Yeah. One more example. Paul writes, the church in Colossae. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge and now he gives some examples in regard to food ah, or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So again, this captures in a nutshell everything that the tension was around. There were these rules, there were these regulations that were intended to point to the person of Jesus Christ. And those shadows, before you had the substance, the person of Christ, they were important. But now that Christ has been revealed and the church has been born, there is no need for the the shadows. But when things are important to us, they die hard. And so people were clinging to these and people who were not following the days like they had used to follow the days and they weren't following the, the food and the drink regulations that used to be, they were declaring them guilty. The problem? God wasn't. This is what James is confronting. Stop putting one another down as guilty in ways, in areas that God has not declared guilty. Is there a time to declare guilty? Yes, when? When the scripture declares guilty. But we gotta stay there and we can't eke out of that. So, maybe, maybe you understand now why I have a bottle of red wine up here. Because certainly there have been many over the years who have declared with great zeal 
if you drink this, you're not going to heaven. Now, some of you are going, really? I never heard that. That's, there was one clear way growing up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, that you knew somebody was a Christian. They didn't drink. That's how you know. And they certainly wouldn't smoke a cigar. Because everybody knew you don't smoke or chew or hang with those who do. Yeah, see, you know it. You know it. And then, uh, I was told very clearly recently, you should not wear these to teach on Sunday morning. Now, some of you are judging that person. Welcome, I'm glad you're here. See how that works? I, I got you. I got all of you. You're like, wow, what a loser. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, they, they were like, I was like, everybody wears them. Yeah, but they're not on stage. I don't think you should be wearing those on stage. No, I, I wasn't pronounced guilty as going to hell. I don't think. And my hey dudes. But do you see what's happening? You're judging the person who's judging. Thus, we give a whole morning to two verses. Because you know what is deep in our heart? A desire to be the judge. Because <laughs> we know how everybody else ought to live. We can't figure it out for us, but we got to figure it out for everybody else. <laughs> we know what they should wear. We know what they should drink. We know where they should go, where they shouldn't go, what they should dress. We know everything for everybody else. And so what's the problem? He's saying that needs to stop. Why? Why? I'll go back to the text. You there? If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. And what's our calling? What's our role? To do the law, not to make the law. See, he says there's only one lawgiver, next verse, only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. There's only one who can because there's only one who has the authority. But you, but who are you who judge your neighbor? You get it? See, the problem with acting as a judge is first our role is to keep the law. Not to make the law. As much as we'd like to make the law to fit us, our role is to keep the law. Not to make it. You ever wanted to make the law? So a number of years ago, a lot of years ago now, uh, we were up in South Carolina for Jackie's uh, youngest brother's wedding. And the unthinkable happened. Her aunt died on the reception floor at the wedding. Huge wedding. Paramedics came, tried to do the shock, and couldn't get her back. 
I mean, it was like, wow. So it was a late Saturday night. Jackie decided she was going to stay, be with family for the services I needed to get back. So I'm driving back late, 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 late night. Finally get into Jacksonville, over off Alaska Road, headed to where we used to live. And it's dark 30 in the morning, and there's this place that there's just a little jog, and for some reason they put a stop sign there. There's no need for a stop sign there. <laughs> Have you never thought that? No need. So it's late, I'm ready to get home. You know, sometimes you just, you at least slow down, you just roll through. I was like, that's a stupid place for a stop sign. So I didn't even slow down, I just roll, just went right through it. And before I know it, whoo, it's like, what in the world? So a guy comes up and he says, you know, you didn't even slow down. And I said, well, that's because there shouldn't be a stop sign there. <laughs> and I was so surprised. He was like, that makes sense. Just obey the laws you want to obey. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He looked at me like, James, who are you to judge where the stop signs go? And he promptly wrote me a ticket and fined me. Because it's not my job to to make the law. Now, I should get my money back because within less than two years, they took the stop sign now. <laughs> but I have yet to get my money back. <laughs> but I've always, I've always remembered that moment thinking, man, because, you know, that's a safe one to tell. Uh, I'd, all, I'd love to make the law. You wouldn't like it. And I would stink at it. Isn't that funny? We'd love to do it. We'd be terrible at it. But James is simply saying, when you bring condemnation on other people for stuff that the, doesn't, the, 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 the scripture doesn't condemn, you've moved from keeping the law to making the law. It's not your role. Why? Because he says, the problem with judging as judges of the law is that there's only one lawgiver and judge. There's only one. The one who is righteous and holy. The one who is the law, who is holy and therefore can define holy. There's only one lawgiver and judge, <laughs> and it's not me. I used to get to go to the Keys fishing, and the guy who would host us, fantastic, we'd get a fantastic guide named Carlos, and I learned a ton from Carlos. He was a really good fisherman, really good. And so after doing a few years with him, then my son started coming, and so we're out in the boat getting bait, uh, early one morning, and I told my son what Carlos had told me multiple times. And he goes, whoa, Doug, there's only one captain on this boat, and you're not it. I was like, come on. But 
He didn't care if I even repeated what he said. If I was gonna say what he would, nope. I'm the captain. I get to say it when I want to say it. It's really what James is saying. There's one captain, there's one lawgiver, there's one judge, and we're not it. So this, this putting down, this verdicts of guilty, where the scripture doesn't declare guilt, we need to stop it. So what's the remedy? <laughs> this is what's funny. James doesn't give a remedy. <laughs> his, his letter is so short because he actually says in two verses what Paul says in multiple different books of the New Testament, chapters to say. So we're going to go to one of the chapters that Paul wrote to look at the remedy for the very same issue that James says, hey, stop this because you're to keep the law, not make the law. So join me in Romans 14 now. We could go to 1 Corinthians 8 if you're curious. We could go to 1 Corinthians 8. We could go to 1 Corinthians 10 or we can go to Romans 14. We're going to choose Romans 14. All three chapters deal with this issue of how do we relate to one another in areas where the word of God does not speak black and white. What you might think of as principles of conscience. Uh, how do we relate so that we don't judge, condemn one another? Declare guilty where God has not. The first thing that he says, I'll show you in a moment, is what James has already said. Uh, we stay out of God's lane. He's the one. That, that's been clear. The way he says it, stay out of God's lane, is in verse 4 of Romans 14. Who are you to judge the servant of another? See, when we judge, what are we acting like? We're acting like the master, as opposed to the servant. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls. And he'll stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So that's Paul's way of clarifying what James said. We're not the master. So we're not the judge. We're not the one who makes the law so people don't answer to us. We answer to the Lord. He continues, verse five. One person regards one day above another. We've already talked about this. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. See, one of the things that uh, I didn't, I could have put a bag for trick-or-treating up here. Any judgment that ever goes around for that one? How dare you send your kids trick-or-treating? Celebrating Satan's holiday. 
and other people going, uh, no, we're just hanging out with the community, collecting candy. One day above another, every day alike. What's he say to do? Take a vote and let's decide what do we believe as a church. Now that's not what he says. It's what churches often do. <laughs> What's he say? He says, you, as a servant who seeks to please your master, the Lord, you decide. You decide according to your understanding of what the scripture says, doesn't say, where there's principle, you decide, you become fully convinced in your own mind, and you do what you believe is pleasing to the Lord. This is how he says it in verse 6. He who observes the day, observes it how? For the Lord. And he who eats, does it how? For the Lord. He gives thanks to God. In other words, I've determined that this is pleasing to the Lord, so I can thank the Lord for it. And he who eats not, why not? For the Lord. You see what's happening here? Fully convinced in my own mind what is pleasing to the master. So let's be clear. What's the scripture say about this? Drink this and you go to hell? That's what I was told. Drink this, go to hell. What does the scripture say? Do not be drunk with wine. Is that a gray area? No. Drunkenness is not a gray area. Well, what if I'm not driving? It's not a gray area. What if I'm just in home? Not a gray area. What if it's a special occasion? Not a gray area. You see, I don't want to make everything gray. The scripture's very clear. Don't be drunk. Now, some have become fully convinced of this. If I never drink, I'll never get drunk. Is that true? Yeah. If I never drink, I'll never get drunk. So, I'm going to never drink, so I never get drunk. Others have concluded, I can enjoy on a celebration or at home or, and they make whatever parameters that they have freedom to make short of drunkenness. Be fully convinced in your own mind. You know why that is so hard? Because once I get fully convinced in my mind, I'm fully convinced for everybody. <laughs> Ever been there? It's like, I studied this. And it's hard to not get fully convinced for me that doesn't become fully convinced for everybody. And so where do we come back to? I have to answer to my master. Now, let me also 
Most of them will be here next hour. But if anyone is underage, the scripture would say, you're accountable to obey your governing authorities as unto the Lord. And so uh, there's not freedom there to drink underage as long as you're not drunk. So we are clear where the scripture defines what we should do and then we become fully convinced. Is it sin or is there freedom? Sin for me, freedom for me. Stay out of God's lane. Stay out of God's lane. And answer to the Lord. See what I'm saying? Answer to the Lord. Because that's what we do and we don't do for, for the Lord. He continues in verse 13. Romans 14. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So Paul determines, I'm fully convinced of this. But now he takes a next step. And he says, I need to not only be fully convinced for me, I need to be considerate of one another's journey, where they are, and what will impact them. Because he says, uh, be considered of one another's personal journey. Let me, let me go to verse 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. You see, every once in a while, I'll run into folks who have come to the conclusion, hey, I've become fully convinced. I'm free. I don't really care what anybody else thinks. That's not maturity. That's not love. That is treating another person with disregard the person for whom Christ died. So he's saying what? I not only need to be convinced for me, I need to be considerate of those that God has placed around me. Uh, to not cause them to do what would be sin for them. You see, maybe, I hope you're capturing this. This is a tremendous call for us as the people of God towards maturity. Maturity. Maturity that says, I'm going to live under the commands of God. And where there's freedom, I'm going to exercise that freedom, not as 
I please, but as I determine will please the Lord. But even within that, I'm going to be considerate of my other brothers and sisters in Christ so as not to cause them to sin. So I may be fully convinced I'm free and still not exercise that freedom because I love you more then I love my freedom. That's maturity. And that's what James is calling us to. Maturity. To not judge where God has given freedom and then to be considerate of one another. He continues verse 16 saying, therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. So I'm considerate of one another's personal journey and I want to hold loosely to my personal preference, my personal convictions, where I am free in my conscience, I'm gonna hold that, what I think I have a biblical right to do, I'm gonna hold that loosely because I wanna be considerate of where other people are in their journey. Hey, recognize this. You may become fully convinced differently along the way. It's not inconsistent to say at one point in my life where the scripture gave me freedom, I exercised that freedom. And then at a different point, I said, I'm no longer going to exercise that freedom. That's not inconsistent. That's being a servant unto the Lord. And sometimes we need to choose differently or our convictions change and don't be reluctant to do that there may be freedoms that you no longer exercise and there may be things that you didn't exercise that then you do exercise what do we do we stay out of god's lane we're fully convinced for ourselves we be, we're considerate of one another's personal journey and we hold loosely to personal preference and rights When we don't do this, two things happen. Turmoil in the church, conflict. Remember, this is where we started, chapter 4, verse 1. Conflict, quarrels happen. And here's what else happens. The gospel gets confused for a watching culture. When we condemn for things that the scripture does not condemn, and we do that as a church consistently and vigorously, it confuses the gospel. It adds to the gospel. So there's not only turmoil in the church, there's not only quarrels in the church, the gospel gets defiled.
which is really what he says next. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. You know how easy it is to make it about those things? This is what was happening in the early church. It was about, no, you can't eat that. No, you can't drink that. And all the arguments about that and what was getting lost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God ought to be focused on. Righteousness. Defined by whom? The righteous one, not us. The kingdom of God is about the righteousness of the righteous one, not our adding on to the righteousness. The kingdom of God is about peace. What's he talking about? Inner peace? No, he's talking about the fact that God has broken down the walls that make us hostile toward one another those barriers so that we could function as one, that the Holy Spirit that dwells within you as, the, as a child of God dwells within me as a child of God, and we are at peace with one another. We're not quarreling and fighting about things, shadows. We're united in righteousness, and therefore, there's peace. And where there's peace, what is there? There's joy. There's joy. See, well, you know what, you know what the Lord of Christian Family Chapel wants? Jesus, you know what he wants? He wants there to be joy here. The kingdom of God... Let's not boil it down to stuff. Let's not argue about the appropriate shoes. Let's focus on and hold tightly. We hold loosely to our rights and our preferences, but we hold tightly to righteousness. We hold tightly to joy. We hold tightly to peace within the body. And nothing blows up peace and kills joy and perverts righteousness than judging where God doesn't judge. Does that help you? I hope it's what we need to know. I don't want us to be soft on truth. It's not what we're saying. Let's be committed deeply to the word of God and to righteousness as he has declared it. Uh, and hold loosely to where God has given freedom, that we would do that with love for one another. And so I'm simply asking as the band comes, that we're going to declare in submission to the Lord and a commitment to his righteousness, to hold tightly to that, that there'd be joy in this house of the Lord. What if you'd stand with me and let's joyfully declare this together.
worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. That He opened the prison doors, that He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds a victory. shouting condemnation. And so as the people of God, as we go, would we be filled with the fruit of the Spirit? And let's, let me remind us what that is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So let's go in the power of the Spirit. If we can pray for you, if you've been praying for something um, in solitude or on your own, don't let that be the case. 
as part of your family, we want to pray for you. So we have men and women who are available to pray. I encourage you to do that. And have a blessed day. We'll see you next time.